I'm excited to welcome to the Tierra Talk Show, Gary Rydstrom to the show. Welcome, Gary. Thank you. It's great to be here. It's it's wonderful to have you. Again, we're continuing on with the Atlantis theme on this podcast because we're almost Which at the 20 great. years, right? <laughs> well, it, I'm at the point in my career, this has happened with a few films I worked on where you kind of get shocked. Someone will call you or say there's a 25-year uh, anniversary of this film that to me felt like I only worked on it a few years ago. So yeah, 20 years is a long time. Yeah. It did, and it came on, I mean, Atlantis was at the, I guess you could say at the tail end of the sort of the rebirth, the gold, one of the golden eras of Disney. So, and yeah. Kirk and Gary were kind of a big part of why that was the golden era. So uh, I was excited to work with them on it because, you know, they had done Beauty and the Beast and Hunchback and that was kind of a, uh, a wonderful um, reemergence of Disney animation, and you know, to the to the culture in a really powerful way. So, but I guess it was the lost years after. Maybe the, they should re, maybe Atlantis, the lost years. I don't know. There's sort of an interesting time, but I, you know, it was uh, to me it was great because I was uh, I worked on Hercules before this, so those two animated films were my uh, chance to work on classic Disney animation. And, and polar opposites too. So you, you you know with Hercules, it's more of a lighthearted comedy, and then Atlantis, you get this dramatic, adventurous film. So how were you originally brought on to the project, or did they have to kind of pitch it to you? Well, I, I remember, I remember Hercules. I had to, um, I had to audition in a way, a weird way. They had several sound people sort of come and talk to them and do some work, and so I auditioned for. For Hercules, and I was happy to get it. It was my first one. And then uh, by the time Atlantis happened, I knew a lot of the Disney people, and they came. I don't know if they needed to talk me into it because I would have done it, but they came up to Skywalker Ranch, uh, George Lucas's Skywalker Ranch, where I work, and they brought uh, the scene of the the launching of the submarine, the Ulysses. So they and we played it on the big screen in our stag theater, which is this great theater, and they played this moment where the submarine gets launched and you know it's this great combination of cg and hand-drawn animation and and uh, that's all it took for me i said well this is this this is uh this could be big so um it wasn't exactly a pitch but it was a inspiration i think don Hahn wanted to kind of just get everyone excited so he probably went around showing uh that scene which must have been done on the early side uh and you know that alone got people excited they officially invited you to be a part of the team, which is great. What was one of the first things you wanted to tackle? Did you want to kind of complete the real world sounds first and then ease into what Atlantis would sound like? Or did you start researching what their Atlantis was going to look like so you could try figuring out, okay, what would actually sound as if it's from a different world, yet still so earthly? Yeah, it's a good question, because, you know, it's, the, the movie splits into those two radically different worlds, you know, the kind of the 1914 world of human uh, vehicles and weapons and the kind of the classic adventure movie, and then this this kind of spiritual um, world of Atlantis. And I love contrast like that. It's always nice to have... Um, contrast from sound so you can have these kind of glowing crystal world versus backfiring you know vehicles world so but the first thing we do is is start gathering stuff so we recorded a lot we went out into the world and um me and uh, sound crew we recorded and i remember recording some things that became recorded in like mine you know mines and quarries 
uh, things like that. And, uh, and then, but, and electrical stuff, just because there's a lot of, you know, electric, electric, old electrical stuff, but it's amazing. What happens in sound is you record stuff and you don't exactly know what you're going to get. And there was, I remember there was a sound we recorded, got from an electrical sound, just a, what seemed like a normal electrical sound that made this kind of, the kind of weird whop, just whoop. And, um, it ended up being an element for a lot of the crystal energy stuff in Atlanta. So you go out thinking you're recording for the old 1914 human world, and then you get something for the Atlantis world. So that's the fun of sound design because you go gather stuff and then you, you discover things. Um, and the other thing I discovered was, is actually recording uh, an old vehicle, an old truck passing by, but Long after it passed by our microphone, it was blocks or half a mile or a mile away, there was this weird singing sound that it would leave in its wake. And that became the main sound for the for the crystal flying fish in, in Atlantis, which is one of my favorite sounds. But it's again, it's made from recording an old truck because you think you need an old truck. But then you listen to something and you go, well, now that would make an interesting flying crystal stone fish. So that's the fun of it. You know, so the first thing was gathering stuff and seeing, you know, kind of getting ideas from the real world, which is how I try to approach sound. It, it seems so complicated to me overall, because, again, you're you're starting from scratch most times. Sometimes there are, you know, audio sounds that I've heard so many different times in different yeah. different films. But again, it you really are starting from a blank template from from this you know, retrospect and, and sound does make all the difference because it really puts you into the world of Atlantis and you as a sound designer, you've worked on several other films. So how did you find that this was something, you know, that was up your alley that you really wanted to pursue it as a career when, you know, earlier on, earlier on in your career, you know, where did, where did that idea come from? When, When did that, when did you know, you know, this was, just perfect for me. This is exactly what I'd like to do in the entertainment industry to bring, to really bring the worlds to life. Well, I went, it's, it's, uh, it's the interesting part of my life. My career story is that I got, I went to film school and I went to film school because I love silent film comedy. So <laughs> then I ended up in, as a sound designer. So did, uh, and I got, what happened to me was I went, I was in film school during the time when Ben Burt was doing the star Wars movies and Walter Murch was doing, uh, apocalypse now. And there was, there's actually an era, maybe it's come back, but there was an era in the seventies where sound for film was really cool. Alan Splett was doing great sound for David Lynch movies. And, um, you know, Frank Warner did great job on raging bull. And, and of course, Ben Burt doing star Wars. I mean, this is kind of like, if you were in film school, that kind of work was getting you kind of excited. So, um, it was literally cool. I didn't didn't plan on a film sound career, but I got offered my first job was happened to be at Lucasfilm where Ben Burt worked. I uh, got a, a job offer up there to work in the sound department. So that's how it all started. And, you know, I got really it was fun to do sound for there's a magic thing that happens that only sound people, I guess, really know. But when you put the right sound against the movie and then it kind of it's like this visual effect where the sound sinks back into the screen and then it feels just ah it's become it's become one with the movie and that that moment is so nice that um you know I got kind of addicted to that early on but yeah it was uh, you know sound 
to me, sound was is exciting because it's a way to to play with and 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 communicate emotions to the audience in ways that, aside from doing podcasts like this, audiences have no real way to think about. And so we can sneak in all sorts of sound work that has an effect on audiences, and they have no idea what we're doing, which makes me kind of excited. As a sound designer, are you do you kind of request to see visuals of the characters, of the atmosphere, just to kind of maybe put yourself into that world, even if you can't hear it, you want to see visually what you're going to add to it? Oh, yeah. And in any movie, and especially this one, but any movie... Um, just seeing artwork, just seeing what I find that the sound people should check out the production design because it inspires and the, the look of this movie. I've been going back and looking at it again because of us talking about it. And um, it not only does it hold up, it's it's brilliant looking. It's so interesting and so beautiful and so angular and so cool. So good visuals like that always inspire what the sound would be like. It's amazing how sound always has a tone. There's a there's kind of a a coolness or a th- there's a threat to the human side with you know there's kind of this gritty um, kind of weighty grinding um, uh, reality to the to the human side of things. And then there's this the, the Atlantis. Just look at the colors. You know, the the blue color of the crystal. It's a very distinctive blue, the crystal glow, and so that kind of defines what kind of crystal sounds it might have. Um, you know, so the look inspires a lot of the feeling of the sound and it, it's hard to even explain when you look at artwork it kind of to me it uh, starts to i start to imagine sounds in my head just without even moving images just seeing paintings and and character design for you when you were from the beginning of you know pre-production into making the actual film how long did it take to get every single sound and then what was the editing process like from there on out well, since it was twenty years ago, I can't remember. Let's <laughs> back in twenty years ago, we we gave we we took a lot of what seems like a lot of time these days. So, um, in a movie like this, I would I would be involved with the sound before they even finish the animation, and we get so you know, and working back and forth with uh, their picture editorial department to send them sounds and that kind of thing. Uh, that's one of the benefits of animation. I did it with the Pixar films too. Is that I would interact with the, the creation of the film, you know, even years before uh, it was done while working on Atlantis. I remember doing early, early sounds for Nemo, which didn't come out till 2003 because I was looking at my library. So, oh, I'm playing. So it's, you can start years ahead of time, but then, you know, we probably spent, you know, eight, nine months probably total with the sound crew between recording sounds, cutting sounds and mixing this movie. And, you know, we treated it like, a big action movie and I had recently done Titanic and Terminator 2 and Jurassic Park. It, it was in the same vein of those action movies. Okay, so I'm somebody who sometimes has OCD and I have to make sure all my files are in a specific folder. So yeah. when you create your sounds, are you, do you do the same thing that I kind of do with my files as I make sure there's a file for Atlantis the Lost Empire, there's a file for Jurassic Park and, and Titanic, so you can go back and then even create additional files and be like, okay, it's for this scene, scene A, one, two, three. You know what I mean? Like, how do you organize everything so you can go back if you need to and you 
use something else previously before if you wanted to. Okay, so if you have OCD, you would be a natural for working in my business if you ever want to switch. You can come into sound. It, it makes great use of people who are very organized. Um, and yeah, I mean, to record, we have an ongoing library um, of sounds we've recorded for other movies, for, you know, and the library grows, and you organize it by categories and subcategories and keywords and I, I can't tell you how much still I, I look for uh, um, like stone flying fish because I just love that sound from Atlantis and maybe find another way to use it in an interesting way in another movie. Um, so we do organize uh, sounds into categories um, and and so it has to be organized that way so that both me and then editors who are cutting this this movie that you know you're cutting the dirigible fight you go and you find the dirigible propeller sound you find the machine gun sounds and the bullet hits and they're all kind of organized in a uh, ultra ocd kind of way um yeah it's part of the fun of it is um is putting together this is one of the first things i do is put together the library it's like here's here's the the, the library the kinds of sounds that will make this movie so i hand that off to editors and they start cutting away in sound, and our library's gotten so big, and you know, Skywalker Sound, we share, everyone kind of pools their libraries together, and it, it's wonderful, but it's so big that the organization, you can imagine, it's like the Library of Congress. So one of the things is, you got to describe things in a... Uh, a real in, detail, like extreme well, no, detail, right? <laughs> but a word that, a word that um, you know, uh, you know, something, something you remember, um, you know, I remember... I, I just little thing. Uh, I I had this sound I recorded from a toy called Wiggly Giggly, and uh, it's it's kind of in Atlantis. There's a in in the villages you see these little chicken like creatures. So I called them Atlantean Atlantean dodos. So if I remember looking for <laughs> Wiggly Giggly, I don't even think I said Wiggly Giggly in the library. I just wrote Atlantean dodo, and then you have to remember over the years that that's. Oh yeah, I could use that you know little Atlantean dodo sound. So <clears throat> naming it is a key key creative element to to, uh, to all this stuff. Part of the fun is just collecting you know in my case thirty forty years of of recordings and design sounds and and uh, and having them to kind of sift through and finding new ways to use them. That to tell you, I mentioned that truck driving away sound, which turned into a crystal stone flying fish, which is one of my favorite sounds in Atlantis. The truck wasn't recorded for Atlantis. It was actually recorded for a movie called The Legends of Bagger Vance, directed by Robert Redford. And I went to North Carolina and recorded all these old vehicles. And um, um, uh, but and so this, I had to remember back to that recording and say, that's right, that truck pulling away. I remember made this really interesting sound that now I could use. Um, I remember in some earlier movie as a research thing, I... I, I use uh, Cornell has a great recording library of natural sounds. And I don't even remember what movie it was, but not this one. And they said, here, we got this great sound of a midshipman fish, which was these fish recorded underwater, discovered in Sausalito, California, about 20 years ago. And they make this thrumming heartbeat sound, which no one had really heard before. It was amazing. I could find no way to use that, whatever the old movie was, but then it became an element for the Ulysses submarine in Atlantis. So uh, you just keep it's, reach back into our, into what other movies and the recordings and, you know, find, find amazing stuff that, uh, you know, the, the, the first 
sound design thing I ever did was for the movie Cocoon because they were glowing aliens. So I recorded, I had just gotten married and I took the, the crystal champagne glasses from our wedding and I did the glass harmonica trick. You know, you wet your finger and rub it on the, on the harm, on the, on the glass and you make these singing sounds. And so I went back to that, became a great element for, for crystals and Atlantis. So yeah, don't throw anything away. You have no idea when you'll be able to use it for another day. And do you have one in your personal archive that is the most, in your opinion, is the most rarest sound you've ever had? It came to mind because I was looking at this movie again, and there's a temple bell. There's a bell that uh, you hear it in Atlantis in the beginning when uh, uh, young Kida is, is Atlantis is being attacked and goes underwater and they hit this big bell. And I guess it's, it's an exotic sound. Here's the story. It's a little embarrassing story, but it's, I was in Japan for something else and had the opportunity to be at a, an old monastery. Um, and I, I heard monks chanting and it's just, it's a beautiful experience. And uh, I went around recording things in this monastery and I found this huge bell, very similar to what's in the, in Atlantis. It had a log that you pull back and hit the bell with and made this great sound. And I, I hit it once for to get a level for my recorder, and then I recorded it a few times. It was great. And then after recording it, this monk ran up the hill and through an interpreter was yelling at me that that was the New Year's bell that had only been rung on New Year's Day for the past 500 years. So I had kind of screwed that one up. But I figure that's probably the rarest sound I ever did because, you know, hey, I screwed up. I, I, uh, I was the uh, crass sound designer uh, at the monastery in Japan. I felt okay using it for something that was spiritually, uh, you know, important for the the loss of Atlantis at the beginning of the movie. So, have you done a lot of research trips, basically, to go out into the world and and find sounds that you might not be able to find in our country? We take advantage whenever we, you know, some people whenever we do travel. I'll tell you the truth, the budgets for these things aren't much. They say, you know, hey, we'll send you to. Uh, Costa Rica or something. Actually, on, on Jurassic Park, we got money to send someone to Costa Rica. But very few movies pay for that. So what we do is kind of as a group, as sound people, if we're in New Zealand or, or Australia, a lot of great sounds or the ambiences of Atlantis actually came from uh, recordings. Richard Hymns, a longtime partner of mine, recorded in, in um, exotic locales in Australia. Uh, uh, so when we travel... People bring a, they damn well better bring a recorder and record uh, ambiences or whatever they might find along the way. Um, I am a lazy guy, and what I end up doing is finding a lot of really fun sounds right uh, at home, and um, uh, you know, a lot of you know this movie. I remember Atlantis with there were these a lot of rocks and and big stone giants and stuff. So I just remember getting a lot of pots and rocks just from around our house and, you know, sp- you know, scraping the, ro- the, the pots against each other, doing that kind of stuff. It's amazing with the kind of, uh, uh, sounds you can find in your own home. Uh, and I, I think I've said this, I said this in the documentary that, uh, you helped me find about the making of, and it's, it's an example of how lazy I am, but the little submarines that come out of the bigger submarine during the Leviathan attack are really a water pick. So I had that classic water pick with the, the, you know, the big plastic bucket of water 
and you can make all sorts of amazing sounds with a water pick. So I turned those little pulsing water sounds into the tiny submarines. So uh, my laziness has sometimes paid off into interesting sounds. So a combination of taking advantage of international and wild and exotic travel and don't give up on the interesting sounds that are happening in your own house. So so for somebody who would like to pursue a career like this, what is your opinion on the best type of audio recorder to be able to go out into the world and you're like, oh my gosh, this is an interesting sound, I need to record it, but having a clean recording, what would you suggest? Well, it's, you know, technology has changed so much. I mean, a long time ago, you needed something really heavy, you know, Nagra or something, both expensive and heavy. These days, you can... Tell you the truth, you can record stuff on your phone, your smartphone, and uh, uh, if you have, don't have the time to go find something and there's an interesting sound, it's amazing what you can get technically fine on a phone. Otherwise, there are these things called Zoom, um, Zoom recorders uh, that uh, a lot of people use. They're in the couple of hundred dollar range and they record digitally, um, uh, and they're they're wonderful. And so. Uh, yeah, if you're any budding sound person who is interested in collecting and thinking about sound, yeah, look into like an HD zoom recorder or even things that are apps that turn your iPhone into a, a fairly decent recorder itself and then start playing, record things and see what you find. I recorded with my iPhone this morning cause there was a, an interesting bird out the window during sunrise that, uh, so I had an app on my phone. I just open it up, hit record, stuck it in the window, and I'll listen to it later. Hopefully it's good. I can only imagine it must be different for a sound designer because when you're out in the world, you are more, I guess, alert to the sounds around you. So are you always in sound designer mode? Is that you have to get the right sound, the right piece of sound that if you hear something, oh my gosh, I have to have this. Are you always on alert for that? Yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of a sickness. It's probably not a good way to be in the world because you're just always, sometimes you're distracted from a lovely conversation because the, uh, you know, the tree is creaking behind the person or the refrigerator uh, makes a wonderful, like, whoomp sound. Um, uh, I remember one of the, a sound that I used in Atlantis that I just, you know, was driving with whoever, you know, family in a car and I, I just happened to open the sunroof of my, at that time, a sob while going fairly fast on a freeway. And it made this great sort of air whoosh. Just <laughs> so what I do, of course, is then I, you know, drop off whoever my, uh, uh, you know, my wife, whoever was in the car with me, go back on the freeway and then just go, you know, drive it above legal speeds and open and close my sunroof for a couple hours and get get an interesting sound. And that sound in Atlantis is the sound of the big carved rocks that spin around when Kita um, floats up into the uh, to the carved rocks. And when they spin around, the big whoomp they make is actually my sob sunroof opening up. So, yeah, just listen. Listen for the interesting sounds of day-to-day life. Do you have to wait to have the whole thing the whole film done before adding the sounds or are you able to go scene by scene that is officially completed? You can go scene by scene, part, especially on Atlantis. They were very much into, into thinking about sound early on, which is great. So through the picture department, they had uh, a guy who was focused on keeping their sound guide tracks going. Um, and, and then Ellen, the, the picture editor, same thing. They, they thought about it. So we were able to send them things and they put it into their tracks as they were cutting. 
um, and then it would come back to us and we'd refine it. And because uh, we knew that sound was going to be, to tell you the truth, when I look back at some scenes from this movie, I, I don't think I've worked on. I mean, I worked on some pretty big movies. Some, some of the scenes in this movie are bigger than anything I can remember. And I, I got, I exhausted myself looking at them again and say, wow, that was, that was a lot. Um, so, uh, we had to start early cause it was such a big part of the movie and it really does bring an animated movie, especially it brings it alive, you know, Foley to everything, all the, all the sounds that we start adding to footsteps and all that kind of stuff really, really make a movie that could seem fairly unbelievable and, and, and cold it really brings it to life and uh it's always nice to see directors and gary and kirk i think were this way too when you get to the sound mix you know sort of the last stage of doing the movie it's really when the movie feels like the movie everything is kind of temporary or patched and not fully done and you do a playback of a reel say of atlantis and you've got a final mix and tom johnson and i final mix this and i think for the filmmakers, it's, ah, that's the movie. This is the finished movie for the first, very first time. So that's always an exciting part. For, for the sound in general, your sound is different with the design as opposed to the music that also accompanies the, the, the audio quality along with the character, actor performances. So yeah. with those three, are you layering all three together at your end, or are you only working on the sound effects themselves? Well, it, it, it's you know, music and sound effects need to kind of cooperate. And um, I forget when we first were able to hear the James Newton Howard music, probably long after we had started, obviously, cutting sound effects and thinking about sound effects. Um, but at some point during the mix, then we get the music. Uh, and then the final mix is a blending of sound effects, which is my deal, um, dialogue and music, those three major elements. So um, that's a big part of what the final mix is doing is is sort of handing off between let the music sort of take it here. We did a lot. This movie had a lot of moments where we had to pitch, change the frequency of, say, the crystal, crystal glowing so it would work with the music. So that was part of it. But yeah, that's another reason why the final mix is so exciting to, to see, I think, for the directors, because now it's the finished music with the finished sound effects and the finished dialogue all sort of all coming together. And the music was great. James Newton Howard did just, a, I thought, a spectacular job. It's a beautiful score that that ha that has to take into account that it's also a Disney animated film. So it's taking all these turns and being funny and it's quick, but it's also epic. And, uh, he, he, he nailed that. And, um, it was, a. uh, sometimes it's not a pleasure to work with music in a, in a movie. It's a struggle, but this was a, this was a beautiful, beautiful score. That was fun to work with. We joke in the past. I sometimes have an antagonistic relationship with composers because we feel like we're sort of, uh, in the way of each other, you know? Um, and, um, not this one we were m more than happy to kind of uh work within James Newton Howard stuff for that scene there's no dialogue but one of the interesting elements of it that I also love is they came up with I forget the guy's name who wrote the language he came up with the language for the Atlanteans and the ancient language I think he did Klingon he was known for inventing languages so they recorded a lot of chanting 
uh, in this language. And so that scene is full. There's no dialogue, but it's full of the kind of stretched out chants of of uh, of the past. Uh, and then for sound geeks, the the soundtrack for the sound effects of that was anyone can do this at home. It's really kind of a fun thing to do to make something seem spiritual. You you play something forwards, or actually you play it backwards. Play it backwards, add a ton of reverb so it just echoes after the fact. So raw, then it echo, echo, echo. And then you turn it around backwards. Now the the source sound is frontwards again, but you've got this backwards reverb leading up to it. So that scene is full of this kind of you hear the chanting or the dialogue, even Kida when she says her line to to Milo. Um it has this weird unnatural you hear the echo before the talking and um it's an amazing effective uh trick that's my uh tip of the day for any uh, uh budding sound designers out there do you still have some sound clips from atlantis um in your own personal archive that you sometimes occasionally use maybe have used since then or yeah i think you know over the years i would always for lectures and things i would try to pull a sound clip and, and i'm sure i could find or go back to find elements of, uh, uh, of Atlantis. I don't have them easily available, but I, I love that kind of thing. And, you know, when you say this is 20 years ago, it's it, uh, a lot of people said or have said since that the movie felt ahead of its time. And um, it, it came out, it, it did come out at this really interesting time. And I was involved in my career too. I'd done some of the first CG movies. I did sound for Terminator 2 and Jurassic Park. And then I did, you know, the very first Pixar movie. So there was this, there was this new world happening. And I think, I think what happened at the time, the kind of a, the adults in the room or the series people talking about movies thought, well, this seems a little backwards because it still has hand-drawn animation. Um, and it, it, in a sad way, it didn't, this kind of approach to making a movie uh, didn't really continue. But, looking at it again it is so um timeless and uh it has a unique um cinematic widescreen feel to it so for me i get to do an animated film that feels like this hybrid of 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 a, a disney cartoon with the biggest adventure action film that you can imagine so um that's what was unique at the time to to give it uh, a, a kind of a a reality. I mean, you said I did Hercules. Hercules is a completely different. Hercules is full of a little bit more kind of um, fantastic or cartoony, even even sounds because it's meant to be funny and and a fable. And and uh, Atlantis is pretty realistic, and uh, it comes at it from a very different point of view. And I know we're talking all about Atlantis, but I have to say to our listeners. Um, you have to check. <laughs> you have to check out <laughs> Gary's full bio because we're just scratching the surface here. And I, 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 I really wanted to make sure that this episode was dedicated mainly to Atlantis. So I don't want you, Gary, to feel like I'm, I'm snubbing any of your oh. other wonderful works. You know what I mean? Um, but uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about some of the films you've recently done and um, maybe what you're doing now that maybe we can look for, like, so we can look forward to the the next film that you're, you would do the sound design on. <laughs> Someone asked me recently, you know, 
giving a class and film stuff. And someone said, how do you not get bored over, over time? <laughs> the way they put it to me was you've done this for so long, which was a way of saying that I was old, but how do you, and the re the way you, you don't let it get boring is you try to do different things. And so, and, and at the time that Atlantis was made, I was, you know, the other movies I was working on were, uh, Pixar, or the first Pixar features, which had their own kind of vibe, and then Hercules. But also, I had these action films, this Terminator Two, Jurassic Park world that I was doing, and they were very different kind of um, films. On top of it, I was doing Robert Redford movies, so I was doing you know Bagger Vance and River Runs Through It, and completely. Did. I I just like to to shake it up, try different things, and that that all kind of informs uh, each new film. So. Uh, and that time, if you think about 2001, was a real cusp of computer graphics and computer animation just kind of coming into its own. And uh, so it was a dynamic time. And then since then, I got to direct some animated films, which was really fun because I had a real love of animation. So I directed a couple of Pixar shorts and um, I directed a feature animated film for Lucasfilm uh, uh, Steven Spielberg is a, an ongoing director I, I work with. And so what I like about Steven Spielberg is that he he tries different things, too. Just like Kirk and Gary did with Atlantis, saying we're not going to make a traditional Disney film. Steven Spielberg is now going to make West Side Story, which is what I'm on now. And, you know, it's a musical. First time yeah. for him. First time for me. So it's good to uh, break out of your rut and try something different and shake things up. You know, I think, you know, being that this is an Atlantis podcast, it's true to the theme that Atlantis tried to shake things up. Um, and I think it's important creatively for all of us in the film business to try new things. And there's always rumors that they might remake Atlantis into a live action film. So you have a way of talking to Steven. Just give him a little lowdown. Say, hey, <laughs> we'd like you to direct this. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, but I, I really can't thank you enough for being on the show. But I want to make sure I, I leave it open for you to talk to the fans directly before we end our chat. So is there anything you want to say to them to uh, also celebrate the 20th anniversary right around the corner? I just want to say it's, it's nice when you work on a movie – you kind of finish it, it comes out, you kind of forget about, I forget about it. It's just, it's done. It's, you know, and the, and the reaction to it, if it's good or bad or big box, and it's funny how over time it doesn't matter. So what, what fans, what people who embrace or keep talking about movies like Atlantis do even 20 years on is it makes you realize that work on film done right anyway is, is forever. You know, it's not a, not ephemeral it doesn't it's not just that first box office weekend it's not even the first year um these movies have a life of of their own and then you know fans people who embrace the movie uh, are the ones that remind you of that and it it makes you feel both proud that you worked on it and and it gets you more excited about the next thing you're working on because hopefully if done right that'll have the same effect so it's wonderful to hear about uh, years on, people still liking and getting something out of work that was uh, important to the people at the time. Yeah. 